So you have an incredible idea for a membership. You're excited about serving an audience and helping people to achieve results, to learn a topic and all that good stuff. However, there's already a well-established big player in your market and they have a membership that you're going to need to compete against. How do you compete in that saturated market with those established big players? That's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode of the Membership Guys podcast. You're listening to the Membership Guys podcast, bringing you proven practical tips and advice from the leading experts on growing a successful membership business each and every week. And now, here's your host, Mike Morrison. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 289 of the Membership Guys podcast. I am your host, Mike Morrison. Thank you so much for joining me on the number one podcast for membership site owners. Today, we're talking about competing with established memberships that already exist in your marketplace. So this might be a situation where you're going through the planning process, you're researching the the market, your audience, and you've discovered or you've happened across a huge, huge, well-established membership that already exists. And maybe the idea of needing to come up against this big player or multiple big players, maybe it's putting you off moving ahead. Or perhaps you already have started your membership and you're just finding yourself running out of ideas for how you can stand out, how you can differentiate yourself from those big names in your space. So this was actually inspired by a conversation inside Membership Academy from one of our members who has a photography membership. Now there's a lot, a lot of photography memberships out there, um, but one of the bigger players within that space is Creative Live. Creative Live, well-established brand, been around for a long, long time. They have hundreds, possibly even thousands of courses, years worth of material spanning back through a long time within this space. And so for a newcomer, into the market who is teaching a variety of different photography techniques are serving essentially the same people this member who who posted about this uh, question inside our community it kind of found themselves banging their head against the wall trying to figure out how they can survive and thrive in a market with such a juggernaut such a well-established competitor. So this sparked a really good, really useful conversation and it inspired me to record this episode of the show. For any of you who might be in a similar situation, either with a membership you're planning to create or a one you already have and maybe you're finding yourself despairing at the fact that you are up against these big names. So I think the first thing you need to do if you're in this kind of situation, you really need to zero in on what makes you different. If there's someone else already catering to the needs of your market, then ask yourself, why do you exist? If this company, if this other membership was already there, then what was it that prompted you to think, you know what, this market still needs me? What was the purpose of you creating this membership, of you entering this space? What gap still existed in the market that your competitors and other existing solutions simply weren't filling. 
is this just a me too project? So, you know, when you start your membership or if you're thinking of starting one, was your motivation for doing it simply a case of looking at the fact that this is a big market, people are making money, I want to get in there and make some money too. Was it just a money grab? I doubt that it was. Usually that's not the case because memberships take a lot of passion to run and memberships that are fueled by passion tend not to be money grabs. So chances are there was something missing that your competitors simply weren't addressing or they were doing something that you just didn't agree with, something that went against your principles, your method of teaching. So what needs weren't being met? What gap still existed or still exists in the market that you want to fill? What isn't being said? What isn't being taught? What isn't being done? What does your competitor do or teach that you disagree with, that you stand against? Your why, the why of what you do, why you do what you do, can be such a compelling part of why people choose you over your competitors. So, Put some real thought into why you also exist in this market and what makes you different from other established players. What do you bring to the table that's new? What's your motivation? What purpose do you exist to fulfill that isn't already being fulfilled? And this is all stuff that you should highlight in your messaging and in your marketing. What are your audience sick of? What are people who, using the photography example, who have entered the world of either wanting to become a professional photographer or wanting to pursue this as a hobby and they've come online and they've maybe read books and they've taken courses and they've joined memberships but they still haven't found what they're looking for. Why? What is it that they're looking for that isn't being delivered? What can you bring to the table that addresses it? What's missing? In what ways aren't they being served? In what ways might they be frustrated by what's currently on offer in your market? And how do you address that? So getting into that mindset of what makes you different. What is the point of your membership existing when there's already other stuff out there? When you're looking at your market and thinking, where is the need? Where is the gap in the market? Was there a gap? Focus on that. Focus on what other people aren't doing and how that has compelled you into coming into the market and providing something different and emphasize that in what you do. You might also consider specializing further. So almost niching down, getting more focused and more targeted around what you bring to the table and who it is you serve. Your audience will be naturally drawn to the membership that they feel best solves their specific problems and match their specific situation. So if someone's a wedding photographer, they're more likely to be drawn to a smaller membership about wedding photography than a larger membership about all types of photography because it's a better fit for their specific needs. Now, specialization is not just about niching down your topics or photography versus wedding photography, guitar versus blues guitar. As well as specializing by what you do in terms of the topic, in terms of the subject you teach, you can also specialize by who you do it for and how you do it. Yoga for middle-aged men. Personal development for women in C-suite positions. Parenting skills for low-income families. The who can make a massive, massive difference 
in terms of how specialist your membership is and by extension of that, how appealing you will be to your target market. Again, if there is a middle-aged man who really wants to learn yoga, but the only option they have in terms of memberships online are just gen general generic yoga memberships, and then something pops up and says, hey, I'm creating something that's actually created with you in mind. So I'm designing a membership that teaches yoga to middle-aged men, which you happen to be. You're naturally going to feel, okay, well, this is going to be more relevant. This is going to be a community filled with people just like me. And as a result, the discussions are going to be more relevant. The support, the answers that I get from people when I ask questions are going to be more relevant. And naturally, you're going to gravitate towards that rather than the more generic catch-all kind of broad memberships. So the who can make a massive difference and can really help you specialize and become known for something specific. Now, the how can be a big differentiator too. Not always a huge one because for us, for you guys listening, for us, the how of what we do is the membership model. Right, So we've already got that kind of differentiation there. And broadly speaking, the how is the thing people care the least about. The specific details of you know, where your community is or um, whether you do live Q&As or pre-submitted, pre-recorded, like all those details of, of what the membership actually does and how they do it, they might move the needle in a tiny little way. But if your competitor's community is on Facebook and yours is on LinkedIn, and that's the only way in which you're different, it's not really significant. That's not going to move the needle. So the how of what you do, by virtue of you being a membership owner, you're already kind of differentiating and specializing in that regard, in that you're different from someone who teaches yoga classes um, via paid workshops or teaches them in person or sells a book or something like that. So membership owners kind of have the how nailed already. And sometimes people focus a little too much on the minor details of that, thinking that they'll provide the differentiator. But usually it's not significant enough. Generally, the what and the who are the areas in which you can really drill down and really hone the targeting and the focus of your membership site to a point where someone choosing between you and something more generic, it'll be a no-brainer that they go with you. You know, if, if you um, have a broken arm and you go into a hospital and before you, you've got someone who day in, day out, all they do is fix broken arms and their patients always recover quickly. They've got proven case studies from every single person they've worked with. This is all they do. They went to college to train for this. They went to a medical school just to train to fix broken arms. <laughs> they eat, sleep, live, and breathe this. And then you've got the person next to them who every now and then they fix a broken arm, they deliver a baby, they, um, you know, they address a burn, they do a little bit of plastic surgery here and there. They're generalists, right? They do a bit of everything. They are broad. Now, that second person isn't necessarily bad at what they do. And if they were the only choice available to you, you would rather take someone who can fix a broken arm than, you know, random guy down the street giving it a go for their first time. But if you're presented with the alternative of an option that is 100% 
catering to your specific problem, your specific situation, you will go with that option every single time. If your membership can be that specific choice to a particular segment of your audience, then you're going to stand out and you're going to beat the competition every single time for those people. So consider further specialization with the topic and with the niche or niche that you're serving. Another way that you can stand out against established big players in your market is to focus a lot more on the personal side of your business, your personal brand. People do business with people and Bob Berg, author of The Go-Giver, famously coined the term know, like, trust. People will do business with people they know, people they like, and people they trust. You can establish that relationship. You can build that trust by focusing on your personal brand. So this is why things like content marketing, podcasting, just like this podcast, so many people join our membership because of the podcast, because they hear my voice, they get a sense of who I am, they can prove, or I can prove via the podcast that I know what I'm talking about, I'm demonstrating my credibility, my expertise. Hopefully some of you listening to this feel like you know a bit about me, about us as a business, hopefully a few of you might like me. Um, that sounded really sad, didn't it? Like, do you like me? But you know what I mean? That kind of stuff, that personal interaction, that connection goes such a long way. And so if the other players in your space are kind of faceless corporate beasts and you get to be the person that your audience can get to know a little bit more on the personal front, through your personal brand, through that direct connection, relationship, and trust building, then that can go a long way. If someone feels like you get them, like you're one of them, you know what they're going through, you've had the same struggles, you've encountered the same obstacles, you've been in the same place, then that can be massive. That level of relatability, that association with you can really, really, really make you so much more compelling than a faceless brand, as you so often get with bigger, more established players across different markets. So embrace that personal brand. Embrace the personal side of your business. Embrace storytelling. Share your own story. Every superhero has an origin story, right? Share the behind the scenes of your business. Share them little insights from your life. Let them know who you are. That can really help form those closer bonds. Storytelling is a big, big thing. Share your story, but also share successes from your membership. Share your member stories, share case studies. Again, all of this just forms closer bonds, closer connections. That makes you the clear go-to. And a big, big part of that, of having that personal side coming into play in a way that bigger businesses often can't compete with comes down to being more accessible and being more visible than your competitors are. A membership that's been around for years and might have tens of thousands of members, you'll often find that the founder or the figurehead, if they're even known, if there even is, you know, still that individual who started it all, often they're not personally accessible within their community. You can't just chat with them. You can't hang out with them in the community. You can't ask a question and expect them to come along and answer anytime soon. So if you go against that, if you're the one who's accessible, if you're showing up every day, 
in your community, serving your members, helping your members, answering posts when people put them in your community, then that's a big string to your bow that your competitors often simply can't have. They can't logistically manage. And that is a big reason to join. People will join your membership because they know that you're an active part of it rather than some mystery person behind the scenes that they'll never know. That means that if they look up to you as an expert in your field, if they respect your knowledge, your credibility, the knowledge that they could get your input and insight and even just rub shoulders, swim in the same sea as you, then that can be really compelling too. So again, if you are newer, if you're smaller, chances are you can be far more visible, far more accessible to your members than the people who are running the larger competitors who perhaps have way too members for that to even way too many members for that to even be feasible so again embrace that emphasize that another big tip for competing with the big players avoid the temptation of focusing on cheap differentiators so it's always good to find and to emphasize ways in which you are different from your competitors but don't go for those cheap differentiators so what i mean by that is basically the whole value proposition of your membership being, hey, we offer the same value as the big guys, but we're a bit cheaper. Meh, who cares? Or, you know, I always remember back when we uh, used to work with clients, when we had the agency, actually even before then when I was a freelancer, this is going back well over a decade, and I would go to business networking meetings. These were these breakfast meetings where everyone gets together over particularly um, stale, poor-tasting hotel breakfast. And um, we'd, we'd connect, we'd network, shake hands, exchange business cards, um, talk to each other about each other's businesses, all that kind of stuff. And there was a guy there, wonderful, wonderful guy, lovely guy, but his pitch for his stationery com- company was that his company were the only stationery company where you would get a free box of biscuits when you put in an order. So a free box of cookies for our um, US cousins. Now that's nice. It's a nice touch. And, you know, I've got to admit, I, I devoured that box of cookies after I put in a stationary order with them. But that's not really a differentiator. Anyone can do that. If there was another stationary company rocked up to that same meeting and... He heard that this was the gimmick that uh, this one guy was using. It would not take any effort whatsoever for him to stand up and say, well, hey, if you order from us, we'll give you two boxes of cookies. It's not a differentiator. It's a gimmick. People don't really make buying decisions based around gimmicks, cheap differentiators. So again, that's, that's a big tip if you're finding yourself scrambling for ideas of how to compete against big players in your market. Don't go for those cheap gimmicks. Don't go for those cheap differentiators. Next tip, embrace being the underdog. Being the underdog is a good thing. People root for the underdog. If your competitor is the establishment, the old guard, then you're what's new. You're what's fresh and exciting. If they're the juggernaut, the old tired juggernaut that's been around forever, you're the one who's nimble, who's scrappy, that can change quicker, adapt quicker, that's got their finger on the pulse, that's edgier, trendier. People root for the underdogs, the scrappy upstart. They're more relatable, they're more inspirational, they're more down to earth, 
and they're more in tune with what their audience want because they're just like us. That's why people root for underdogs because we see people who are like us and who are on an upward trajectory and we get behind that. We want to be part of that journey. So embrace this positioning in your marketing and in your messaging. If you are an underdog, lean into that. And that's the funny thing because often when people are in this situation where they are a relative unknown, they're new into a market where you have the establishment figures, the big name competitors or the people who've been around for a while, they kind of almost try to disguise the fact that they're new. They see it as a weakness. They try to make up or overcompensate for what they perceive as a flaw. But actually, when you lean into the fact that you're new, when you lean into the fact that you are not the big giant, the big box store, when you emphasize the things that you might think are a weakness, actually they can work to your benefit. And that's true of our next tip, which is to really emphasize the benefits that someone gets by being part of a more intimate community. Notice we use the word intimate and not small. That's a specific example. You're not small. The community isn't small. It's intimate. So put that little twist on it. Just pivot it, reposition it into a positive. So rather than lament the fact that you're much smaller than the establishment figureheads in your industries, embrace it. Being small means you can have a more intimate connection with your community. Being small means you can pay them more personal attention. Being small means you're nimble, you can change, react quicker, adapt to member feedback, correct things that don't work and incorporate new ideas faster. There's a lot of benefit to someone of being part of a smaller community, not only in terms of the potential level of access they would have to you, but also in the fact that they get to be part of the bedrock of something that could go on to be bigger. They potentially get to shape and influence the direction of your membership because memberships are always evolving and a big part of that evolution comes from tapping into member feedback and observing member behavior and optimizing what you're doing in order to best serve those people. So the people who get in on the ground floor, they have become ultimately a big, big part of what your membership will ultimately go on to be. And that's something that can be very, very compelling. So emphasize the benefits of that more intimate community, not just in terms of the fact that they're going to get a larger share essentially of your time, your ability to to dote on them, to love on them, to serve them, to uh, answer their questions, support them and all that sort of stuff. But also they have probably more of a voice than they would do if they went and joined a membership that's got a quarter of a million people where they're just another number. They're joining a smaller membership. They're not just another number. So emphasize that and embrace that rather than seeing it as a weakness. Another big tip switch your focus away from content. So I mentioned at the beginning of this that the inspiration for me doing this episode came from a member inside Membership Academy who was in the photography niche. And one of the main things they zeroed in on was the fact that the big established name in that market just has an ocean of content. They have got more content than the the, the person who posted this, is ever likely going to be able to create. And so it was just this insurmountable mountain. He felt that if he had to try and make the case for his membership and what he offered, then anyone comparing it to what this other membership offered 
it's just night and day in terms of how much content is on offer. However, you need to remember when people join your membership, they are not buying your content. They are buying what the content enables them to do. Even with memberships or even other services that are a little more focused on quantity. So, you know, something like Netflix, obviously a big, big part of Netflix value proposition is how much content they had. But if it was if it was all content that was rubbish, if it was all boring content that didn't entertain people, which is the reason people join, they join for entertainment, then no one would be a part of it because it's not serving the reasons they join. With a membership site, the reasons people join are very much related to the result they want, the outcome that they're seeking, the problem they want to have solved, the goal they want to achieve, the transformation that they want to undergo. It's not about stuff. Nobody joins your membership because it's got the most stuff. So while your competitor might have years worth of content in their library, and perhaps that intimidates you, if you can actually help people get to where they want to go quicker without them having to wade through a mountain of content in order to get there, then what you have is worth far more than a massive library. Quality trumps quantity every single time. And if you can help someone get a result with a five-minute tutorial video, then that is worth so much more than dragging them through 10 hours of bloated courses just for them to end up with the exact same outcome. So you need to think about content differently as it relates to your value proposition. Value is all based around how well and how effectively you help people achieve the results they join your membership to achieve. Value and content are not the same thing. So don't be intimidated by the fact that chances are if you're coming into an established market with an established competitor, they probably have more on offer than you in terms of pure volume of material. But if you can get people the same results or better results quicker with less, it doesn't matter. And on the same note, my next tip, if you can provide people with a personalized, tailored, guided experience in your membership that helps people to navigate your content and the resources you offer in the most effective way possible, then that is worth its weight in gold. If you can give people clarity when they join on where they should start, what they should do next, what to do after that, and so on. So you provide a step-by-step -step pathway, a roadmap to that outcome that they're seeking, then that's a hugely valuable thing that can set you apart from competitors who don't provide that clarity and end up overwhelming their members by just dumping them into a bottomless pit of content. And if you want to get a little fancy and actually personalize this roadmap or these tailored recommendations, for example, by using member surveys or creating your own recommendation engine where people can pump in a little bit of info about them, about what they're looking to achieve, about their current situation, and then it spits out some tailored recommendations. If you can do all that sort of stuff or maybe even just doing short personal welcome calls where you actually get on face-to-face -face with someone and you get a little bit more info about them, about their needs and so on, so you can give them personal recommendations of where to start. That sort of stuff can blow the competition out of the water. Often, 
with these big, long-established memberships, someone signs up, they're just left to their own devices. So whatever you can do to provide that guided experience, to give people that roadmap, and if you can personalize it, if you can tailor it as well, man, that is going to make your membership so much more compelling than your competitors. And the final tip here for how to compete with these big players, look for opportunities that they're not exploiting content channels that they're not prioritizing, services that they don't provide, social media platforms where they have no presence. So this doesn't mean that you have to avoid marketing in similar spaces to your competitors. So if they're running a YouTube channel, that doesn't mean that they have a monopoly on YouTube within your space for your topic. It doesn't mean you have to seed that channel to them. And similarly, it doesn't mean that you have to do things in your business that you don't want to do. So if there is an opportunity to gain ground on your competitors by offering private coaching to your members simply because they're not doing it, it doesn't mean that just because the opportunity exists, you have to do it, even if you don't want to do it. It's just about seeing what the no-brainer opportunities are, the untapped opportunities, and thinking a little differently to your competitors. It's the whole thing about when they zig, you zag. So definitely look to see if there's any opportunities they're not exploiting in terms of how they're marketing, where they're marketing, uh, if there's anything where you look at it and think, wow, for a, a business that big, I'm really surprised that they don't have a podcast. For a company that established it's amazing they've only got 500 followers on Instagram. Those are the kind of things that you're looking for where maybe you would already be considering marketing in those channels or offering certain services that they're not or certain features that they're not. And actually the fact that they're not really doing much in those areas is just added motivation that perhaps you make them a little more of a priority for you. Like I said, this doesn't mean that uh, you can only market where they're not marketing. Nobody has ownership of any particular channel. And even if they've got a well-established podcast, for example, doesn't mean people won't also listen to yours. But see if there are any just obvious no-brain opportunities that they're simply not exploiting. And you do tend to find this with businesses and brands that have been around for a long time, where actually maybe they kind of got locked into a rhythm of doing certain things when they first started, and they've never really changed their tactics. They've always just stuck with what's always worked for them, but perhaps they're not tapping in to newer marketing channels. They might not be using TikTok, and perhaps you just know that actually if you get on there, that's going to be a fantastic way of reaching your people. I say that having zero real understanding of using TikTok to be honest. Um, so yeah, look for those opportunities. Now, there's a few things you shouldn't do. I've mentioned a few of these, I've touched on these a couple of times in kind of giving the tips of stuff that you should do. There's definitely some don'ts when it comes to trying to compete with established players in your market. First of all, don't start trashing them. Don't start bad-mouthing them. Don't try and smear them or bash their reputation or, you know, obsessing about them in your content, talking about how terrible they are and all of that. It's one thing to use the failings of your competitors or maybe things you disagree with or, um, you know, gaps that they're leaving in the market in a topic it's one thing to use that to fuel your own why the why the reasoning that you do it and to obviously allow that to influence uh, the content you might create the things you might prioritize 
But you don't then want to be turning up in your content channels every single week talking about how terrible your competitors are because they're not doing things the way that you would do them. Start trashing them, it'll backfire. It's the whole thing of, you know, if you go low, they go high, all that sort of stuff. It's just not good. You'll attract some people who will find it funny that you're, you know, just bad-mouthing everyone in your space, but it takes a lot of skill to kind of pull off that anti-industry angle and quite often people who kind of try to be that almost rebellious um you know voice of the people within a particular space quite often they just end up just negative and ranting and rambling and they don't quite have the nous to 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 turn that to their advantage so don't go down that route next thing don't try just copying and mirroring what your competitors are doing you'll come across as a cheap imitation. So, you know, don't design a logo that looks a little bit like theirs. Don't go with the same color scheme that they're using. Don't pick a name that basically incorporates their name or is a couple of vowels away from their name. Like, don't try to be them. People don't want cheap knockoffs. Just do you. Be your own brand. Be distinctive. Be different. Don't try and just mimic what those people are doing. You will not come across well from doing that. Also, in terms of copying what people are doing, don't rip their stuff off. I shouldn't need to say this, but it's very, very common. People who are trying to break into a space, unfortunately, some of them will then they'll just start stealing content. They'll start copying uh, the content that their competitors are putting out, hoping that they won't get caught or won't get noticed or if they change a few of the words around or run it through a thesaurus that somehow they'll fly under the radar don't do it it's lazy it's also illegal can land you in a lot of hot water and people know when you're doing it people know what you're doing don't steal don't rip your competitors stuff off if you're not able to come up with original content on your own you probably shouldn't be doing this anyway because you're not going to get very far on just nicking what everyone else has written. Um, all right, next, don't be underhanded and trying to steal their members. Don't go into their Facebook groups and start promoting your stuff. Don't reply to people who are tweeting your competitor and start plugging your product. Or even worse, don't join their membership and start sending private messages to their members, telling them to join your community. That happens. So yeah, don't do it. And finally, don't try competing on price. That's not to say that you can't price lower than they're charging if it makes sense for you, but don't center your entire marketing strategy and don't pin your ability to compete around solely being cheaper, solely based on price. When you compete on price and price alone, there's only one direction you can go, and that is down. Competing on price is a quick race to the bottom because there'll always be someone cheaper and if you start competing on price and you know your competitors charging 50 bucks so you start charging 40 the next person who comes in the market might think the same way they'll charge 30 next person charges 20 next charges 10 and then you're getting into pennies so yeah don't compete on price and a few things to remember just in terms of the broader topic of being in a space and uh, having competitors essentially no matter how big they are first remember a rising tide raises all boats so the existence of these competitors is actually a good 
thing. More people in the market who are putting out content on a topic means more people are being reached and exposed to ideas. Potentially more people are going to get interested in your subject. If you've got lots of people talking about photography, that means there's more content in Google. There's potentially more people are going to have their interest sparked. And, you know, if people start researching photography and they find articles, then they go down that rabbit hole and they may come across you. Or it may be, as we kind of mentioned almost at the top of the episode, someone could have joined your competitor's membership, realized that what they need is something a little different, and then they go off and do some research and they find you. Competitors and having multiple people in a market essentially benefits everyone. The rising tide raises all boats. So don't resent the existence of competition. Don't see it as a bad thing. And actually consider whether it would be better for you to take more of a collaborative approach, a collaborative mindset, rather than a competitive one. Now, depending on the size of your competitors, this may or may not be feasible. But if you've got some other people in your industry who perhaps they're not huge juggernauts, they are more established than you, but you know, it's not massively opposite ends of the spectrum, then you might actually look for ways in which you can team up to collaborate, look for opportunities for you to help each other out and work together for mutual benefit rather than just seeing every single competitor as a threat. And finally, remember, you don't need the whole pie. Chances are your market is probably way bigger than you are ever likely to be able to serve yourself. You don't need the whole pie. If you've got millions of people who are interested in photography, the actual percentage of that marketplace that you need to capture, that you need to get to sign up to your membership will be minuscule, minuscule in order to reach a good place with your membership site. You know, I talk about it quite often. I'm a big, big fan of Kevin Kelly's concept of a thousand true fans. And this is the idea that any creator, all they need is 1,000 rabid fans who will pay for anything that they put out, who will bend over backwards to do business with you, who love your stuff. You're their guy, you're their girl, you're their person. They are true super fans. If you have 1,000 people paying you $50 a month, that's $50,000 a month, that's $600,000 per year. Is that enough for you? Are you nodding your head now? Do you need more? $600,000 a year for the vast majority of people listening to this podcast, that's way more than they need. They'd be happy with that. And that's from 1,000 people. Think how big your market potentially is. If you've got 100,000 people in your market, and that would be, by the way, a very, very small market, then 1,000 people of those becoming members, that's 1% of your market you need in order to be set, in order to be making high six figures. And hell, if you if you want a seven-figure membership, okay, you need 2,000 members, so that's 2%. We're talking a tiny, tiny slice of the pie. You don't need the whole pie. So even if you are in a market with an enormous competitor who has 50% of the market sewn up, <laughs> that remainder is still a lot. 
It's a lot. You don't need the whole pie. So don't obsess about the fact that your competitor has more members than you, about the fact that they've cornered a certain percentage of the market. Because in all honesty, you probably only need a very, 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 very small section of the marketplace they don't have in order for your membership to exceed even your wildest uh, dream, your wildest goals. So you don't need that whole pie. Think about your thousand true fans and utilize the tips that we shared today in order to help you to compete with those established memberships in your market. Zero in on what truly makes you different. Consider further specialization, niching down a little more in terms of the topic, who you serve and what you do with them. Focus more on the personal side, the personal brand within your business. Be more accessible, be more visible in a way your competitors probably can't be. Avoid cheap differentiators. Giving people that free box of biscuits when they join your membership, that's not enough to move the needle. Embrace being the underdog rather than seeing it as a weakness and emphasize the benefits someone will have from joining a smaller, younger membership site as well. Don't get wrapped up in the numbers game when it comes to content. Remember, people don't join your membership for stuff. They join for the outcome. So make sure you're focusing on that and not obsessing on how much content your competitors have and how little you might have by comparison. And find ways to provide a more tailored, more personalized, more guided experience that helps people cut through the overwhelm to get to where they want to go. And finally, look for those opportunities your competitors aren't exploiting to help you carve out a following in areas where perhaps they aren't prioritizing. So hopefully this is useful if you are in a situation where you're considering starting a membership in a market where there's already numerous big players or if you already are in that situation and you're running out of ideas for how to keep up and how to compete, then I do hope today's episode has helped you out. That is it from me. I will be back again next week with another installment of the Membership Guys podcast.